Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eCampus News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in ed tech and higher ed. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. On this episode, we try to focus on, can you even say it, the bright side of the pandemic? As horrendous as the past few years have been, there have been some positives when it comes to the implementation of tech and the higher ed experience that should probably stick around as we enter into what I'm hoping is a post-pandemic world. First, some data released from Wiley last week looks at how instructors are less concerned about online academic integrity after COVID. You can find this story in the top feed at eCampus News. Concerns about academic integrity in online courses have eased significantly among college instructors since 2020, according to the survey. Only 27% of college instructors who responded to it, which was taken in September 2021, said they felt students were significantly more likely to cheat in an online course than in an in-person course, which is down from 62% who said the same in 2020. The percentage of instructors who were neutral on this issue rose to 20% compared to 5% of that same year in 2020. Wiley also surveyed students, and while the majority of student respondents believe it is easier to cheat online than in person, that does not mean they're actually doing it. The majority said they are no more or less likely to cheat in an online course, while only 28% said they were more likely to cheat online. Students were split on whether they find it easier to cheat now compared to before the pandemic. Half said it's easier, but 35% it's about the same, and 14% said it's actually harder. Among the factors that the majority of students say make them less likely to cheat, if they are likely to get caught, if proctoring software is used, if getting caught would lower their grade, and if the instructor talks about the consequences of getting caught at the beginning of a course. So you can look at those numbers and... um, I guess we can believe the students aren't lying as well as cheating, that uh, we're obviously trending in the right direction there. Next, we all know COVID initiated a massive and immediate change in learning, namely a nationwide pivot to online circumstances. So faced with the closing physical campuses, classrooms, colleges and universities took quick stock of their online capabilities in order to sustain that learning. And now with students back on campus and with lecture halls full once more, The question still remains, what did higher ed learn from COVID? Specifically, when it comes to STEM, what sort of uh, teaching and learning strategies should remain in place as we creep back towards uh, normalcy? I had a great conversation with Dr. Joel Hadley. He's a lecturer in mathematical sciences at the University of Liverpool in the UK. And Louise Krimpotic, she's vice president of education enterprise at the Enterprise Services Digital Ed. We talked about the differences between teaching STEM subjects remotely versus, say, history or, or philosophy in a higher ed setting. Some really interesting insights here. Have a listen to this snippet. Joel, in the bio and reading in your introduction, you were being recognized for your work in, in this space in, in 2018. And I know as prescient as you are, I'll assume a global pandemic was not one of the aspects that you thought you would have to deal with when it comes to putting together these sorts of curriculum. What has this experience done to change the way which you might have thought about some of these things pre-pandemic? Okay, that, that's a, t- a tough question, isn't it? I, I guess I, I go back to what I said before and said it's that the pandemic drove adoption. Mm. So I, I think the, the rationale for introducing the digital assessment 
hasn't really changed. I think people are just a bit more comfortable with it on the, the staff side, a bit more comfortable to adopt it now that they, they've used it and the students are perhaps a bit more comfortable to, to trust it um, now that they've used it so much. So it's really the biggest change is in, in the human behavior, not necessarily the technology involved? Yeah, I guess so. I think people are more willing to, to try and give things a go and then be a bit more comfortable with them since being forced to do it for 18 months. Yeah. Does that resonate with you, Louise? I mean, is, are there things that some innovations that may have taken place either on the, the user behavior side or on the technology side uh, as we kind of went through this time? Definitely. Like I think before before the pandemic, you know, you had sort of the innovators who were already looking at the digital tools and how do we use this functionality, this technology in the classroom. And then there was still sort of the holdouts who, you know, who liked the traditional face to face and that's all they were ever going to do. And I think the pandemic really forced everyone to look at, wait a minute, what do we do? You know, and as people started, had to move things online, they realized they could move things online and then looked at now it's time to look at, okay, so what does it mean? How do we now proceed from here? One of the thing, one of the big conversations that I've been involved with recently is just around assessment and, you know, is the traditional assessment of here's a quiz, here are seven questions, answer these questions and get a grade. Is that the right way to, to, to grade and to assess student learning? And that's a big conversation now that may not have happened, you know, without the pandemic really forcing people into the, the online assessment side. And finally, I was able to have a very interesting back and forth uh, about new global opportunities for remote and hybrid learning with Ulbek Kazimov. He heads up Vantadash Connect, which is a nonprofit based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and the organization focuses on nation building projects in the Central Asian Republic of Uzbekistan. His models can serve higher ed institutions no matter where they are on the planet. Have a listen, I think you'll find it interesting. Okay, Ulrich, thanks so much for joining us today on uh, eCampus News, I really appreciate your time. Oh, absolutely, thanks for having me, Kevin. So why don't we go in a little deeper, talk a little bit about what I found to be a, a, a really fascinating project that you're embarking on when it comes to the use of hybrid learning in higher ed. Give, give us a little bit of a breakdown. Yeah, um, my name is uh, Ulugbek Kazimov. I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where UNC Chapel Hill is, and I've been always fascinated by the education and the university here. So I've created a nonprofit, the Vatandosh Connect, which serves the Uzbek community in the United States, but most importantly, we try to take this educational technologies into Uzbekistan. And I'll give you several examples. For example, we did a project with the School of Social Work at UNC where we took the experts from Uzbekistan and the professors at UNC trained them here in uh, child welfare reform in Uzbekistan. We're working with the program TEACH, uh, which uh, trains uh, educators and doctors on how to work with autistic children. And uh, uh, that's another big project that we're doing right now. And we're training doctors and teachers in Uzbekistan through in collaboration with TEACH program. But our biggest ambition is education, how we can bring American education into Uzbekistan. And as a part of our nonprofit, we've already um, negotiated a deal between uh, Colorado School of Mines and local oil industry in Uzbekistan to set up a petroleum engineering school. But this was our you know, first pilot project. We wanted to see if we could do it. 
and it was quite successful. Now the industry leaders signed an agreement with Colorado School of Mines about opening a petroleum engineering and mining school in Samarkand, Uzbekistan. That's a very big deal. But we are also interested into um, bringing the educational technologies in other areas. We would like to create American, bring American universities and open campuses where we can use the knowledge of American professors from American universities. And the biggest challenge we had, how could we do it? So we looked at the different technologies and different programs. And the biggest part for us was how we use innovation. And COVID and the whole situation with COVID helped people to understand and adapt remote learning. So we're looking into the platforms like Coursera and EduX, in particular, we're in talks with EduX. What we would like to do, we would like to open a physical campus in Uzbekistan of American University, but we would like to bring courses taught on Coursera and EduX to be taught as a part of the curriculum of American University in Uzbekistan. And this is uh, in a, a specific project to a particular part of the country, if I'm correct. Can you go yes. into a little bit about you know, the, the all-women aspect of it and the Fergana Valley, just for the edification of our, our audience? So the biggest challenge we have in Uzbekistan, how to bring women into the workforce. First of all, you need a good education. We have a Fergana Valley in Uzbekistan. That's the eastern part of the country. It's, it's more religious. And not always they allow girls to go to schools. They, they don't want girls to be into mixed schools and universities with boys. Right. And just yeah. uh, as far as geography goes, we're talking about just to the northern border of Afghanistan, right? Right. It's a, not exactly, but yes, it's a northern border. Uzbekistan is a northern neighbor of uh, Afghanistan. So our idea is open women-only university in Fergana Valley in the city of Namangan where local girls can enroll into the university and at the same time invite girls and women from Afghanistan to come and study at that university, whether remotely from Afghanistan itself, if they have access to internet and technologies, or come in to study there in person. Because we would like to give women an opportunity to have an access to education. What, what is the, uh, the infrastructure right now when it comes to technology in terms of the access to the internet in that region? Uh, in the last three, four years, they've been uh, putting a lot of optical cables and the state of things have been improving when it comes to internet infrastructure. So we have quite a good stable internet for the developing country. You know, it's not as good as here in the US, for example, or other developed countries, but it's still good. It allows with a good technology, if we have a campus with access to good internet and computers and technologies to, for students to be able to study with the teachers and professors locally and remotely. Because what we've learned, remote education is possible. And actually platforms like EduX and Coursera allow you to study at, at your own pace. So that's what we would like to give them. We would like to create a curriculum where we can uh, use those courses online and at the same time bring professors that can teach in person as well. But the biggest challenge we're discovering for the startup university is building your own faculty. It takes anywhere up to five years to build a faculty for a new university. So that's why we're thinking about how we can solve that problem and bringing uh, courses from, uh, you know, certificate programs from Coursera or EduX. EduX will help us solve that problem.
So that's how we're doing. And we start with those courses and eventually we'll build our own faculty where we can also in the US, you know, there are a lot of PhD students that looking for a job, we can hire them remotely where they can be as a teachers who can help them, uh, you know, absorb and work with the material that they'll be learning online or help develop their our own programs for the university. So that's why we, we're trying to pivot and use this whole startup uh, mentality, you know, bootstrapping, pivoting, and you adapting to reality and moving fast because time is the most precious commodity. You know, we yeah. would like to make sure, but we'd like to make sure we do it right. Now, how important ultimately will there be in terms of in-person? You're saying that there will be faculty on the ground in Namangan, but as well as having remote uh, faculty. But do you foresee at any point where there might be interaction in terms of either students coming to the U.S. or even faculty coming to Uzbekistan? I mean, does that, do you still see that in-person aspect as something that is essential to the getting in education? Absolutely. You know, some people thrive in an environment where they can study from home, but some students thrive in an environment where they want to be around their peers in on campus. Yeah. So we would like to cater to both audiences. And when we will be developing this faculties and each college, we will be working with the top leading universities. Like, for example, we already have working partnership with the University of Connecticut, Duke, UNC, Colorado School of Mines. They know us. They work with us. We've done different kinds of projects with them. So we will be definitely establishing relationship with the top leading universities in the United States. And there will be exchange. That's what we would like to have, you know, yeah, yeah, and ask yeah. them to help us develop those knowledges because they have that knowledge how to do it. And we all working on creating the infrastructure locally and help us build the faculty. That will be the biggest challenge. We would like to have our, uh, you know, students come travel to the U.S. for exchange programs or professors come as a visiting scholars and train for like certain periods of time at the local universities while we're building our own international faculty. Yeah, but hopefully as we, we get back to whatever normal is. Now, you mentioned five years in terms of building faculty. What is your hope along with that, that time frame that where you would see this program in five years? Give us a little kind of a glass half full horizon. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, our initial stage of the development of this program a roadmap is to get the physical facilities. You know, we have already commitment with the governor of Namangan region. They've given us a land. Now we're looking at the existing buildings there, which we can renovate up to a standard, you know, so students can come and study up to a very high standard, create an infrastructure access to internet and stuff. And the first year we would like to do, we call it the foundation year, where the students, because, you know, it's uh, English language is not the language that people speak in Uzbekistan. We'd like to train students in English language to a degree where they can take classes at American University, whether it's online or in-person program. And then we also prepare all the courses they need. For example, if it's in education, whatever courses they need to take to be able eligible to study at American University, foundational courses and uh, deep learning English language. That's the yeah. number one thing. So we'd like to do first foundational year. And then when we, we start as online programs, they can easily work with that material that's given on those platforms. And or if it's brought by the you know faculty that's we're going higher internationally, 
because locally, unfortunately, we don't have enough, you know, professors and uh, teachers who can teach at American university. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, it sounds like a very uh, exciting project and one that is going to be a, a benefit to everybody, not only to Uzbekistan, but here in the U.S. And I really look forward to following your progress. So thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. So that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on ecampusnews.com for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the edtech higher ed space. Ecampus News is always free and always helping innovative educators just like you. Until next time, I'm Kevin Hogan.